You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 24 of You Play A What. I hope all of you are well, and this is part two out of five of the interviews with some of the composers that I have had the privilege to work with over the last few months. My guest this week is probably the youngest guest that I have on the podcast so far, and she exudes a motivation to create and share her art as a musician. Back when I was her age, I was busy spending time with my PS3 and building my dream football team on FIFA, but this episode is really not about me. Yeah, so what is really remarkable for Liki is that apart from her commitment at the conservatory, she is still creating new works and putting them out there for the public. I believe most of us have uttered this phrase, I'm super busy with my schoolwork at some point in our education, but at the end of the day, sometimes it is just another excuse we give ourselves so that we don't have to put in this emotional labour to create our art. On this episode, I speak to Licky about her love for EDM, what motivates her to do what she does, and the importance of putting our work out there. Enough from me now, please enjoy this episode of You Play A What with Licky. My guest today makes me feel like a dinosaur. Then again, many of my students that I see nowadays are making me feel this way. But despite her youth, she takes her work extremely seriously and puts on multiple hats from composer to performer to producer. And I've probably missed out on a few things. Welcome to the show, Liki. How are you doing today? I'm doing well and very grateful to be on this channel or podcast. No, absolute (laughs) pleasure. Absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to speak to me today. I feel like I've got much to learn from you in terms of the way we go about uh, this business we call music, Um, especially uh, the way that you've been putting your work out there for everyone to see. Um, But before we get too far into the conversation, uh, just a quick question. Do people usually struggle with the pronunciation of your name? Yes, they always call me Likey. I, I, I get it, like, there's an E at the end. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, it just sounds weird. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, other than that, are there, like, any other permutations that you've received from with your name? Or is it just um, basically, like... I received, I received Likier before, but that is, like, once in a blue moon. Right, right. So, mostly, yeah, people go with Like instead of Lick, right? That's yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I blame the English language for that. 
L I C L I K makes somewhat you know the the word like and then yeah. yeah all that kind of confusion so it's all the English language form right absolutely <laughs> yeah so um you know uh, at the current moment you are a student at the Yong Sudo Conservatory and yes. yeah maybe you could just start with sharing with us what year you are in and what is uh, your course of study at the moment so I'm year three this year. I I went into Yongsuto like two years ago, and I started as a composition major there. Mm-hmm. But uh um this semester I I switched major to a new major called music collaboration and production. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so we'll we'll get into a little bit more detail on why you decided to make this switch a little bit later. And uh, of course, when you enter the the conservatory. Usually, you or not usually for most people, you need some kind of like proficiency on a particular instrument. And what is uh, the instrument that you play? I play the erhu, a Chinese instrument. So yeah, that 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 will be my uh instrumental proficiency. Right. But I I don't play as much anymore. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, of course. Uh, you've uh, learned the instrument for for a good number of years before you started like dabbling into this sort mm-hmm. of like composition and music production thing. You know what I found really quite interesting uh, as I was doing some research uh, for this interview uh, is that uh, of course I came across your website. Uh, first of all, good on you on having your own website. You know, uh, <laughs> I think this really kind of puts me to shame. You know, I think website are one of these things that. All musicians know that it's super important for us, but we just yeah. don't get around doing it. So uh, even someone like myself, you know, which is a couple of years more senior than you, don't I pretty much don't have a website for myself. I mean, I have a website for this podcast, but not really any website for myself. So on the website, of course, we get the usual stuff, things like uh, more information about you and the works uh, and the work that you're doing, and a pretty good collection of all the work that uh, you have done so far. But I think what really caught my attention was the way you kind of designed your About Me page, which starts off with this six point forms of like somewhat kind of one-liners of facts about yourself. And I thought it's really quite interesting because uh, I feel like after reading these six points already, I know you much better as a musician and your your own sort of like personal journey before I read the complete uh, biography. So how did you uh, come up with this idea of almost this kind of like storytelling concept of your About Me page? Oh, um, yeah. So it started a few months back when we were all stuck at home because of COVID-19. And I started watching a lot of YouTube videos. And some YouTubers, they really like to do listing videos. So it's like types of people who go to the beach or types of people who do this or mm, that yeah so then it, it kind of inspired me because it was so easy to read or so easy to look at and you don't really have to pay so much attention to you know get every single point of what they're saying mm. so i was thinking if we i had an about me page that it's really simple for people to read and for them to know me like right right from the start yeah it will be so much easier for them because a biography is like TLDR, right? Yes, yes, definitely. So, yeah, so after the six point, if they want to continue reading, then they can scroll down. If they, if not, at least they already know who I am mm. and what I do. Yeah, definitely. And I think that you picked your six points quite concisely and it was to the point. 
uh, people get to know about your history, the work that you do, what you're passionate about. So all this kind of good stuff. Yeah, you know, I, I find like the, the problem with most biographies of musicians, and I find myself uh, guilty with that, is that we usually start off with um, like, you know, so-and-so has a degree from here, uh, studied with this, this, this person and stuff like that. Well, well, it's all good stuff, but also sometimes I feel like if in your career, usually that is not the most exciting thing, right? Like the <laughs> where you studied and who you studied with should not be the most exciting thing. And if it is the most exciting thing, then, you know, we need a long, hard look at ourselves. Like what are we actually <laughs> doing with our lives? Yeah. So uh, I think whatever you're doing is great and that you, you get straight on to like sharing the more interesting things and what you're really passionate about and to, yeah, at the very get-go form uh, a connection with whoever that's reading. And I think that's super duper important. But but this of course means that we have to start doing things that are out of the norm and more interesting. <laughs> if we if we got no uh, projects yeah. that are that interesting, then it's also a bit difficult for us to write these things down, right? I mean, it depends on on the the amount, like the content people are looking for. Mm. Because sometimes if they want to hire somebody from orchestra for an orchestra, sorry, mm. they will have to see what school you're from and all. So yeah. it really depends on the the context of this. Mm. Yeah, and but I mean that yeah. should appear at some point in a biography because that's also uh, something that is quite important. But I think like the most important thing and uh, what sets you apart from everybody else should be mm-hmm. at the top, and not just yeah. like oh you know I've got this set that's hanging on my the wall of my bedroom <laughs> that I've paid quite a bit of money for, <laughs> and you know that should be like the highlight and the starting of the of the biography. But then again, many people might disagree with me, but. Yeah, that's just my, what I think. But anyway, you don't have to change anything. What you're doing is great. So yeah. Uh, for those of you who uh, are not sure what I'm talking about, just go on to Leaky's website. So check out the link at uh, com. So all the information will be provided in the show description. So you can just hop on over to see uh, what we're talking about for the last kind of five minutes or so. Now, uh, let's talk about um, some of the projects that you are you have lined up for yourself. So what is also good about you is that you are still a student, but you're keeping yourself extremely busy and not with <laughs> schoolwork, which is a plus uh, because we tend to focus a lot on what we do in school and not so much about our professional developments. So uh, you've mentioned to me that uh, you're currently working on a new single titled All We've Got. So uh, could you just tell us a little bit more about this project and what is the input that you are providing for for this single? So this project actually started with, you know, me just playing playing around with some of the sounds and getting a a new melody and I was like, oh, this is cool. And then I just kind of um, did a draft and then uh, I decided, why why not I add a trombone solo? Because I, I was very interested in sound of brass mm-hmm. so I that's asked rare that's my, rare but yeah. we are glad <laughs> okay yeah, I mean yeah. Chinese instrument yeah. if we hear brass you'll be like whoa mm. okay. yeah. so I asked uh, my friend Erwin mm. he's a trombone major in YST yeah. to record a solo for me mm-hmm. and that's how it started so then after a while I got introduced to this singer because after we mixed it 
we were like, okay, it's lacking some voice. So I got introduced to this singer, Yesha, mm. from KL. Okay. And he agreed to sing for me. So he also roped in another another singer, a female singer mm. called Nicole Kylie, also from KL. Okay. And yeah, they are very good and very competent musicians, mm. singers. And they recorded it for me. And they were like, okay, why not we take it the next level and, you know. Release it uh, somewhere. Yeah, release it. So yep. that's the very big team. Mm. Bigger than usual. Nice, nice. And uh, did you come up with the lyrics as well for this? Yeah, I, I did. I wrote the lyrics. So you, you came up with the music and the lyrics and then the, the rest of them were just like basically um, the performance lah, that are either singing mm. or, or playing. Yeah, so I was... Because I have this uh, EDM duet partner, quote-unquote, mm. called... Uh, Named Ronan, Ronan Lim. Mm, I saw something so, about that recently. Yeah. yeah. So he's a violinist and we met in Sota and mm. he was the one who introduced me to dance music production actually. Ah, so okay. we have been working together and then after I was finished with my draft, I just sent it to him and he enhanced some of the parts and mixed it. Yeah. Nice. So. Mm. Mm, okay. So, um, any sort of like timeline that we should we should look out for? Uh, I, I, do you have a, like a date that you're gonna uh, be publishing this as of now? I think it will be released soon, like somewhere in the next two weeks. But we don't want to promise any release date yet. But anyway, the, when the release date is out and confirmed, I will right, post right. it on my Instagram and Facebook. So uh, definitely uh, check that out because one of the six points that we are talking about initially in Liki's biography, on number six, I think, is that she said if you DM her <laughs> on Instagram, she'll continue to talk to you. So go ahead, flood her with your messages and yeah, see whether, let me know if it's true, whether she gets back to you or not, right? So I, I guarantee you that the follower for this podcast is not a lot. So you're not going to be like swamped with messages. Huh? Uh, so yeah, you can find Liki at uh, Liki.lo. That is L-I-K-I-E dot L-O-W on Instagram. So you can keep track of uh, whatever that is coming out or the release dates of this new single called All We've Got. And yeah, I'm sure it'll be amazing. And I am looking forward to that. <laughs> Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about your musical journey and your career development so far, right? So could you just bring us back to how you were first acquainted with music and how it got you to this current point in your life? Actually, it's a very weird story because mm -hmm. when I was four, I was like dragged to piano lessons and I don't know why, but I really hated it. I just, I tried my best to like beg my mom, like, please don't let me go. And <laughs> like, I cried like before, before the lessons, like every week or something. Right. Yeah. So there was piano lessons and then I think mm. I... Just kind of continued it, but very little until I was mm. nine. And then when I was nine, I joined the Chinese orchestra in my, in my primary school, Nanyang. Mm. Right. And then actually I started with playing the pipa. <laughs> so, oh, really? Yeah. So, okay. Uh, yeah, I really didn't like it. And I think the teacher didn't like me as well because it was so hard. <laughs> it's so difficult. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we're starting to, to, to see a, a pattern here. Huh? 
maybe <laughs> that, that generally you just don't quite like music yeah. but no of course that's not true yeah so uh, uh yeah moving on from pipa sorry yeah, yeah so my parents were actually a who players like in jc lah, just orchestra and mm. i don't think they play anymore so okay. they were like yeah why don't you try this i think it's quite cool so it's like okay then I just got transferred to Erhu. And I mm. I would say that I learned relatively fast. So, mm. yeah, it was a pretty enjoyable journey until I got a teacher. And then I decided that, like, I really loved it. So, mm. yeah. Then I continued playing. Yeah. So, there was that time I was about, like, 11 or 12. And then there was PSLE coming out. But I, I found myself practicing, like, two to three hours a day. <laughs> were you preparing for anything for that? Or were you uh, like preparing for a performance or were you just like practicing because you enjoyed it so much? Yeah, I was just practicing because I really loved it. <laughs> ah, okay. Right. So yeah, then that time there was like a SOTA open house and I was like, you can go into a school and just play music. <laughs> I thought like <laughs> So yeah. yeah. <laughs> probably that didn't turn out the way you imagined mm, yeah but yeah <laughs> yeah okay so you enrolled into SOTA yeah, yeah. so then I think in, in SOTA I I think we, we had to take like composition lessons when we were in SEC 3 or SEC 2 okay yeah I think SEC 2 then I really hated it <laughs> in, in secondary 2 <laughs> then okay. I, the next year I started to like like it lah so mm. I started to write my own stuff and I started to be very, like, enjoy it very much. So right. then when I was secondary four, I started learning EDM production and I just kept on doing it. Mm. Okay. Right. So uh, let me just, like, stop you there for a second and let's just, like, un unpack this for a moment, right? Mm. So, um, of course, you, you mentioned that initially when you learned the piano at uh, when you were four, and then you move on to the pipa when mm. you were in primary school because you didn't enjoy it. Was, was there any point in time where you thought that like you're not going to join a Chinese orchestra because you like your experience with the piano was not that pleasant so you wouldn't want to embark on another sort of like um, musical activity? Oh, mm. yeah, actually the Chinese orchestra thing was like it was kind of like an accident because as a as a kid I was pretty sporty and okay. I really loved activities like tennis or badminton or like yeah mm. and uh, or table tennis even so I tried out for all the CCAs and something always happened to me that I just kind of injured my hand or I just couldn't play or something oh. so okay. then uh, my last choice was <laughs> Chinese orchestra and my right. parents okay. Yeah, my parents filled for me and they mm. don't they don't need any audition. You just go in and start learning an instrument. So I was like, okay. Yeah, but I, I really see. yeah, but I really wanted to quit. And then <laughs> then <laughs> one of my friends yeah, one of my friends uh actually was like, Ah yeah, just just join, just join together with me. We learn together mm. and stuff. And I was right. like, ah, fine. I don't have okay. any other CCAs to go. Right, 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 right. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I'm glad that, you know, eventually you found Erhu, which almost seems like it's in your genes because your parents played it. So naturally, <laughs> when you played it, it seems like it was quite a nice fit between you and the instrument. Um, now, let's uh, talk a little bit more about your time at SOTA because you are the first guest that I have on the podcast that is 
uh, that has actually graduated from SOTA. Mm. So, you know, um, if, if you go back to you when you were, say, like 11, 12-ish, uh, was it purely this excitement that I can actually be like joining a school and I can just like practice Erhu every day that made you enroll into the school? Was there anything about SOTA other than that that attracted you to enroll? Hmm. Mm. I mean, when you walk into the building, it it's already very artistic. The way that it's constructed and and the library, especially the library. The library is so beautiful that that it really made me feel like I'm going to be really happy here. So yeah. on top of that, okay, that is on top of the fact that I can be, you know, learning more about music, that music is one of my curriculum instead of a CCA. Yeah. So, yeah, and... Uh, when I see when I was in so when I was in the open house, there were so many you know seniors at the time that were already mm. in SOTA. They just seem really happy, really okay, really happy, really enthusiastic, and very artistic. So when I was in primary school, my friends weren't like that because mm. I think it's just not their thing. Or yeah, I just yeah. wasn't surrounded by people like that in yeah. primary school. Because there was music classes, there was dance, cl- dance classes sometimes, and then I just really enjoyed it. But I guess my friends didn't as much mm. as me. Yeah. So to to be able to be filled with you know artistic people, people who just enjoy arts, it mm. it really made me very excited and just want to start my new journey in this kind of environment. I see. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, having, it's like finding your own tribe, right? People (laughs) who are like-minded as you. And then all of a sudden you can, you don't feel like you are the the odd one out and then you kind of belong into this environment and it's so much easier to just kind of be yourself in a way. Not that you struggle to be yourself when you are (laughs) not uh, surrounded by people like that, uh, but definitely it makes it a little bit easier. So, uh, you know, in a case like there's an 11-year-old that decided that, you know, this podcast is quite interesting. I'm going to click on it. Uh, what is the difference between the curricula in SOTA as compared to a regular secondary school? Um, actually, I'm not very sure. But mm. I, I know that in my time when I was there, it had like three hours of music every week, definitely. And since you are in sec one, it's already counted in all your grades and you have to actually pass that art form to, to be able to continue to the second level. Mm. Yeah. And this is supposedly your major, whatever you yeah. audition in based on. So for yours is music. Mm-hmm. And we have, we have actually in year one, uh, yeah, we call it year one to year six, so not really sec one. So mm-hmm. in year one, we, we had, already had like uh, allocated self-practice time so but <laughs> obviously a bunch of 13 year old kids will not take <laughs> practice time seriously me yeah. included <laughs> right right fair enough fair enough you'd rather be like you're probably chatting with the yeah. your <laughs> your friend next door or going or for another like recess <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that sounds even better actually yeah uh, did you have any uh, opportunities to mingle with students specializing in different art forms during your time there? Yeah, def- definitely. Because we had, we also had classes. So we had like 1A, 1B. Yeah, so mm. we had that. And then our our classes are 
color coded. So like year one is red and then year two is green, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I think when I, when I went in, they were trying something where they grouped two, two different art forms in a class. So it was ah, music okay. and theater and then dance and visuals. But I guess that didn't really work. So the next year they changed it. Uh, I so see. I, yeah, I've always been in classes with different art form people. And I think our cliques are always like, you know, we used to have like groups of friends. They yeah. are always from different art forms. So it's mm. very evenly balanced and mixed. I see. That sounds pretty cool. And, you know, uh, may I just like ask that with most of your friends in uh, SOTA, uh, did most of them continue onto this path in the arts or some of them has like moved on to do other things? Yeah, actually, I, I heard that the batch before me had this um, big thing about most people not going on to do their art forms, like mm. what, what Sota doing and stuff like that. But I think the most in- important thing about the school is that it's their way of... <laughs> teaching their way of um, making us learn because whether or not you continue with art, I think the fact that you have been an artist at some point in your life, it will enrich your life somehow. So yeah, yeah. So not everybody gets to, you know, be an artist after we graduate. In fact, we have this thing in year four that we can choose double signs instead of our art forms. So mm. those people who chose double signs, they just stop doing it. But I think it will always be inside them somehow. Yeah, 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 for sure. I absolutely agree with you that, yeah. I mean, it is absolutely unfair to put pressure on someone that is like 12, 13, or even like say you finish your year six, which means you are like 18 or 19, right? Some Somewhere around that sort of age. Mm-hmm. Uh, to put them on the pressure, uh, or put them under pressure to... Tell them that you have to uh, continue to become an artist or you have to continue to work in this like whatever or practice this art form as a professional. I don't think that's a a very fair thing to say to someone that's young because yeah, they can do whatever they want. And at the end of the day, uh, whatever time they have spent in SOTA is just another form of education, isn't it? Yeah. That's not, yeah, it's not really any difference. But uh, I agree that you, if you have been through this um, creative process or become someone that is like involved in this sort of work, for sure, your life has been enriched by uh, this process and this sort of thinking. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, sorry to segue a little bit away. Uh, so, let's carry on. Uh, so, now moving on uh, from SOTA. What was the catalyst behind your decision to continue to go into uh, the conservatory? Uh, yeah, it was very tricky because I have been a, a, a quote-unquote a who major. <laughs> mm. SOTA, the only one, but you know, still counted in yeah. SOTA. Mm. So then I, I guess I wasn't terrible. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, my teacher... My, my major teacher and my music teachers, they were all expecting me to go to Shanghai to study there because I, okay. I have been there a few times and yeah, there was already like a... A relationship yeah, there like, between kind of, the school? Yeah. Ah, okay. You were, there, you were there for just exchange programs or...? Yeah, like summer summer programs and 
and ah, masterclasses. Okay. I see. Yeah. I see. Okay. So, so then, in year five, I entered this uh, program called the IP- IBCP. Mm-hmm. So it it's IB, but it's career program. So instead okay. of like, you know, uh, math, science, extended XA called EE or something, right. we actually focus on our art form. So we have additional like music lessons for me. Mm. And that, that kind of, by us choosing that, we sort of already know that we are going to be artists in future. In the future, we're going to be in conservatories. So right. when I entered that, I was still an Erhu major because I think there wasn't such thing as composition major yet, but I know that now they do have it. Yeah, but during my, during my days, there wasn't. So okay. yeah, we had a lot of practice time and I practiced Erhu a lot and I played mm. concertos. But by the time um, when we had to apply for, for conservatories, I mm. kind of chickened out or something because I didn't want, you know, to, to be a who major anymore. Okay. And I mean, there were, there were a few like shockers in my life, in, in my relationships, the people around me, but I, I think okay. they, they all want me to be happy. Lah. So I see, I see. Yeah. So I decided yeah. to move more into composition. And mm. at first, I wanted to go to Berkeley, but it was really expensive. And of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, YST. Because um, at first, YST was like a, you know, Singaporean. So just kind of. Mm. So, but when I dive into the, to the things that I actually taught here, I thought that it could be useful. Because right. to, to, you know, have my own style. Because EDM and new music, <laughs> it's a bit far apart, yeah, and probably doesn't mix. But I, I think it might. So mm. I just gave it a try. So I just came to YST to do composition. Mm. Okay. So right now, let's look back a little bit. Okay. So between you deciding to go like into composition from uh, becoming an Ohu major, right, or Ohu performer, or Ohu soloist. Mm-hmm. What happened and what made you have this change of heart? Because it sounded like you were really uh, enjoying yourself. You, you love the instrument and you've been doing quite well. So what was, uh, was it a mindset shift? Uh, did somebody say something to you? Did something happen that made you think that, you know, I want to go into composition now and not so much uh, performance? To be very honest, I think like 17 year old is super young to <laughs> decide on your future and all. Yeah. But, um, I mean, in Sota, I have always been very Western trained and very Western minded, even though my family is not because mm. the people that I'm surrounded by are all, it's like a, it's like a mini international school, but not really international school because right. people okay. that come in are usually not Singaporeans. I so see. yeah. And the music, I was also very West, Western trained. So by the time me and the other people from IBCP, which was like six of us, mm. when we were applying for universities, because they are uh, vocalists and violinists, so right. they were going to Berlin, Germany, or, um, you know, UK mm. and stuff, yeah. Scotland. So mm. I was like, oh, I, I was so scared to go to China because... I, I, I cannot, like, I, I started theory in Chinese, but I still, mm. you know, because all these years I forgot <laughs> and uh. just very scared to be in there with the culture that, 
that that you know I I'm not very used to. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, to yeah to adapt as a 17 year old for sure that is going to be extremely challenging. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to a new culture. I mean, even moving to somewhere that speaks the the same language. I think if you are alone, definitely is a big challenge. Um, yeah, because when I was uh, in uh, studying in Manchester, uh, I did see some SOTA graduates come straight yeah, off lot. SOTA. Mm. Yeah, into into Manchester into the same school at RNCM. Uh, Tessa, I don't know if you yeah, know. Yeah, her. yeah, yeah. Tessa yeah. Tang. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. Um, uh, we were in school at the same time, not the same year, but mm-hmm. uh, she came in a couple of years later than me. Uh, so, yeah, I I think, uh, of course, there were a bunch of Singaporeans there that made probably transition a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. But uh, I can imagine if she was alone and there was nobody else here, definitely, even if you're speaking English, uh, it can be extremely challenging to yeah. just, yeah, adapt to a, a new environment. Now, you know, you, you talked about how EDM and new music or even Western classical music don't usually mix very well, but you decided to have a go anyway. So uh, before you switch to this uh, music uh, production course, did you feel like there was a disconnect with the things that you wanted to do versus what the, the course was offering you? Uh yeah definitely because I I knew I knew that you know there's gonna be a lot of new music here, but mm. I didn't know there was like a you know standard that everybody has to follow, quote unquote like get the grade or whatever lah because mm. everybody here writes in in this certain style and you know there was just no strictly no style writing, uh allowed <laughs> in this conservatory, mm. and I didn't know about it, so right. yeah when I came here I I asked. Uh, Prof Edwards to, if mm. I could write EDM here and he mm. was like no because yeah. it's style writing so the people in, in YST they don't do style writing then mm. I wanted to go to LaSalle but I was like if I go to LaSalle and like just everybody is you know doing the same thing then or things that I've been doing then maybe my life wouldn't be like, this exciting so I was like okay I'll just mm. I'll just stay here yeah, you persevere. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was a very tough two years, but I, I never regretted it. Lah, because I think during the two years, I was trying to, you know, be like, change my mindset to, you mm. know, like the things that I was writing. But I, I guess it was just really hard. And then I really wanted to do my own projects, my own stuff, mix my own things together. Mm. So then I decided to switch to MCP. Because it will, yeah, it's more broad. Yeah. Yeah. Did you uh, feel like in the conservatory, not just say from the faculty, but generally the people and uh, your peers, there is this like lack of appreciation of what you are doing and what you're interested in? No, definitely not. Because I, I guess the, the composition studio here is just, they are very, very supportive. You know, mm. and whatever I do, they will just say it's cool. And uh, right. the people that I meet here, they also, you know, think that it's cool. And then there's the audio arts and science uh, faculty. They mm. are all pop musicians. They all write pop stuff. That's why they came to learn recording and audio arts. So I there see. is a community here for me. And okay. also like the classical musicians, they don't, they don't 
have a lack of appreciation at all. They, you know, mm. they, they are very kind about it and actually very supportive. So I'm very grateful. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, deep down, a uh, classically trained musician knows that at the end of the day, you're the one that's going to bring in the money. Not oh, them. no, so. no, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, you mentioned something also uh, about how it was difficult because you were trying to change your mindset. You were trying to uh, be proud of what you're doing, but you're not quite convinced by probably what you had to do in order to fulfill certain criteria of assessments and things like that. Did you at any point in the two years like feel this pressure that you had to conform? And have you at any point thought that screw it, I'm I'm not gonna like I'm gonna put this EDM thing aside. I'm gonna like go into this um uh, style of writing that's more uh, accepted in the conservatory. Like when you you say put EDM aside, it's like forever or uh, no, uh, maybe uh, not sort of like like you said like passion projects and and uh, side projects, mm-hmm. yeah. But to you know zoom in on this like or to sort of like uh, maybe I wasn't being very clear, but uh, sort of like um, giving yourself this new identity, mm. right? That you are no longer this like uh, producer for EDMs and and things like that, but you are actually now uh, a more sort of like uh, com more like a composer that is writing mm. like yeah music for instrumentalists or singers and whatnot mm. um no way because <laughs> i yeah i don't like the word conforming like if somebody told me to conform <laughs> oh yeah i just right. don't like it you, and yeah you go go against the tide right you yeah just fight it yeah but mm, it's okay. not like there is a type to go against you know it's just no style mm. writing so yeah. okay then i won't write dtm but i will use it to my advantage to, you know, have this uh, style of mine. I'll use some elements of that, like uh, rhythmic elements, for example. That was when I was year one. But Mm. honestly, when I was year one, I learned a lot from Prof Edwards, a lot. And yeah, I wanted Mm. to continue with him, but I think he had too many students. So And and he thought that I could use some uh, tonal... (laughs) training if you call then I got transferred to Prof Changi but I I learned a lot uh, from them and I definitely grew as a composer and Mm. I wasn't allowed to you know directly directly write EDM like in the face EDM but Mm. I still used some of my knowledge from there to Mm. put it in my music so I think I sneak it in a little bit yeah. I did sneak it in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Cool, cool. That's that's really great to hear. And eventually when you had to when when the option was presented to you, I don't know if it was, for you to switch from composition to this uh, MCP that you mentioned, uh was it difficult was it a difficult decision for you or was it like, yeah, sure, this is straightforward. I should be doing this and not this other thing? Yeah, it was very straightforward. It's just like do you know you can switch to MCP when you're three? Oh, okay. Bye. I just, <laughs> just switched. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure like um, you have started your third year for probably you have just finished close to one semester or one term. Yeah, close to right? Yeah. So you, you must be feeling uh, so much more uh, freer and able to do what truly matters to you, right? I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think like having this sort of uh, more sort of traditional uh, Western classical training 
has allowed you to make your uh, music that you're creating a little bit more uh, complex or a little bit more different and original as compared to what is available in the mass market? Mm, yeah, yeah, really. Because I think the more things you learn, the more you will find your own your own stuff. So, mm. you know, we, we don't fixate on, like, for example, if I do EDM, I don't fixate on, you know, always listening to EDM, always just learning EDM, whatever classical Western stuff or even like Chinese music stuff that comes in, I'll just be like, nope, I just want to do EDM. I think that's a, a wrong mindset. So, mm. yeah, it definitely helped uh, just open up a lot of possibilities for me. Mm. And yeah, so, so it yeah. really helped. Mm. And I think a lot of the uh, instrumentalists who are classically trained, uh, like myself, then again, I play the euphonium, so I don't want to uh, sort of bastardize this word classical, right? So, uh, <laughs> But, you know, uh, there's traditionally trained instrumentalists should also be open to uh, different musical genres that is not just new music or uh, classical music, but... Ooh you know, things like EDM and uh, multiple different sort of like uh, genres. And uh, thank you for, for writing for uh, Cole. And it's been quite quite an eye-opening uh, experience for us because um, uh, hopefully it's been fun writing for the four of yeah, us. Yeah, I hope it, was, it wasn't <laughs> torturous for you guys. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, definitely. I think it's a, it's a learning process, right? I think mm -hmm. uh, both for us and, and for you, definitely. It's, it's this sort of like... Um, trying to uh, get to this optimal product yeah. that yeah we all can be proud of and agree on, right? Yeah, but it, but it's definitely been super fun, like playing uh, all these like different, largely different uh, types of composition. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I I learned a lot from for uh from writing for Cole as well because yeah, uh, Western orchestra wind instruments are not really have not really been in my reach. Although I mm. have wrote like for bassoon or clarinet before, but you know, really like going into the different roles of this very special ensemble and with EDM, it, it made me realize that, you know, there's so much, so much color in mm. the music world to work with. And I, I, I realized that I really love doing it. So mm. yeah, I think I'll do yeah. more of it. <laughs> Perfect. And yeah, and then really the possibilities are, are kind of quite endless with this. Yeah. But we'll definitely appreciate one or two bars of rest. <laughs> that I can tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. And we, okay, we move on now to um, this next thing, which I found is quite uh, interesting about you. And what is really quite admirable is that at a very young age, and you're still a student at the moment, you are already putting uh, your work out there on mm. places like Spotify. Of course, you 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 yourself has your own like Spotify uh, account that uh, hosts all the works that you have created, um, and there are a wide variety of things. There are, but all produced by you, I believe. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So um, do you think that uh, it is important to take this like? first step to actually just get your hands uh, down to do something and create something important mm, definitely because yeah. I think that we are always students you know we, we are we are mm. always we are always learning like even after we graduate from school or whatever you know 
So if if I really want to wait till I get the cert that I start putting something out there, it might be a little hard to see, you know, a, a kind of trajectory or a kind of development of me mm. as an individual, as a musician. Yeah. So I think it's very important to, you know, start something, you know, when you have an idea, you write it down in your notebook. If it works, then you just do something. If it doesn't, then it's okay. But the, the most important is to start something. Mm. And putting it out there is, it's a test because you will never know if your music is good or not until you put it out there. And mm. I mean, it takes guts and like shamelessness, but I guess, you know, it's what every musician needs a little mm. bit. Lah. <laughs> yeah, and definitely. I think the, the courage that you need to uh, put your work out there in the public is so much, right? Uh, <laughs> this is also the exact reason why I don't have my own YouTube channel because it was so easy, right? I'll have like 2,000 videos by now. Maybe yeah, not 2,000, right? Like 200. <laughs> but you see, the, the problem is, is this, right? That uh, what, what you said is, is very true that if you wait till the moment that you deem is ready. So the example you gave was that um, you wait till you've graduated and you received a certificate and then by then you think that oh, now I'm fit to put my work out in the, to the public and uh, publish my work, right? But these moments might never come because by saying that you have to wait for the right time to come is pretty much just an excuse. Yeah. It's some kind of like uh, defense mechanism, right? <laughs> that we don't, don't want to fail. Just in case, if we put it out there, people don't like it, we, we don't feel good and we feel like uh, a failure and we don't like to fail, therefore we... <laughs> tell ourselves this really nice idea that when I am ready, I will do it. But then, you know, ready never comes. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. So definitely, I, I really, really appreciate what, what you've just said. And, you know, now, uh, of course, you like uh, what you've mentioned, you know, this idea of like, we are constantly learning, we're constantly developing. And I think, you know, if someone were to subscribe to your music in five years time, would, definitely receive a better product. So yes. you're not in a rush to gather as much uh, followers at the moment, but it is, uh, hopefully people can join you on this journey to subscribe onto your uh, your progress and, and your development. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So how, how do you decide when your music is ready to be published and presented to the world? I think this is also a difficult question because as musicians, we scrutinize, right? We scrutinize really, really, really yeah. hard. And <laughs> sometimes uh, when we record, we thought that, ah, oh, I think this is a pretty good take. And then you listen back the first time, you're like, hmm, I think it's okay. And then the more you listen, the more things you hear. And then you're like, ah, I better not post this because this is not good enough. So yeah, for you, how do you decide when like, okay, this is ready and this is the like minimal, like viable product that I am able to publish to the world? Yeah, the, the thing is we only have, you know, this much time alive. So mm. if you're going to spend so much of it, you know, just uh, being tough on yourself or, or finding faults in your work, then then it's not really a life well lived, right? But I mm. guess I'm not like that much of like a, a so-called perfectionist. And I, mm. I feel that, you know, this is the best I can do in this amount of time. And right. 
I cannot stand listening to this piece over and over again anymore. <laughs> so, okay, <laughs> it's time. <laughs> right, right. So uh, I've uh, done enough work on it and then now it goes live for other people to, yeah. to just listen and because enjoy. Because the right? work is not mm. going to get better when we are more tired, you know. So it's... it's that's very true. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. So young, but so wise. <laughs> yeah, really, really, really good points. Yeah. Uh, so also in your uh, releases, there is, I think, something that you released um, last year where you also sang, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. So that is itself, It's I think, you know, it's bravery times... 6,000 or something like that, if I can put a number to that. Yeah. So uh, what made you like take this first step to be like, well, I'm going to do this and this is coming out and yeah. What? Yeah, yeah because I, I can never ever imagine myself like I can speak now, but I can't Sing. imagine myself. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely not. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I guess. But then to me, it's like, Studio magic, man. <laughs> just record it, you know. But but if you ask me to sing in public, I'll still be really really scared. Like I, I don't dare to do it mm. <laughs> at all. Yeah. So but but I think if I I had to one day I will because I don't know just we all start somewhere. Right? Yeah, we have to do things because we can't just ask people to do stuff for us all the time. You know, we have mm. to learn a couple of skills. We have to be shameless and put ourselves out there if we want it. So I guess the the thing I released last year, I, I felt really strongly about uh, my music and what I wanted it to sound. Mm. And I, I was the one who edit, edited it also. Mm. So I mean, I, I can make it sound the way I want it to sound. And I also yeah. can also try it out with my voice. <laughs> mm. Mm. So that's... Yeah. When, when, you, when you're like... I feel like when I'm super I feel super strongly or very passionately about something then whatever like embarrassment or it was just you know it, it, it doesn't it matter. goes out the window yeah. right okay yeah and uh, yeah I think it's really a very good sort of mentality to have and you know even as someone that has been uh, playing the instrument for so many years right and have studied for so many years Sometimes I ask myself this question, like what is the type of music I'm truly passionate about? Because mm. I sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit lost as well because, you know, as, as a euphonium player or as most instrumentalists, um, right now at this current stage of my development, what can I do? Learn concertos that I've never played before. Mm. And, you know, you look at them and then you play them, you learn them for a while and then they go back onto the shelf because there's no opportunities for you to perform them. Right. And ultimately, I think the reason why uh, I'm not that excited is that I don't feel like this music truly belongs to me. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And I think what you're doing is quite, really quite remarkable because from start to end, it's all you. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I think that really, that is truly something that's very remarkable because you started the whole process of like, right, this, uh, the, the song is going to sound like this and I'm going to start this process of producing it and then I'm going to be singing and going to be doing all these things. And I think at the end of the day, if nothing comes out of it, you have a product that you are truly proud of. Mm, yeah. 
right? At least, you know, for, for that point of time where you where you release um, and, and you put it out to the world, at least at the end of the day, you have a product that you are truly proud of. And I think with that, usually good things will happen. I yeah. believe they already have, lah, right? So yeah, sure, surely you've gotten some kind of recognition and some kind of traction and some kind of like other opportunities because of that. What I find also quite interesting about the way you have modeled your work is that you are constantly, or you're not constantly, but the way you have met, uh, sort of like positioned yourself is that you're offering different type of services that's related to music and production and composition to potential clients that requires your service. And I think this idea of um, problem solving that you are putting out there to your potential clients is usually not um, uh, so uh, clear or not so visible when it comes to instrumentalists because I feel like most of the time we either go to entertainment which means like we either are do putting our live performance for them or doing a recorded performance or we are doing education which is mostly like teaching work so um yeah what was the um reason behind like uh, or did you particularly model your work as like problem solving um i think i would say a little bit of both mm yeah, because when problem solving, like what kind of problems? So, okay. So say, for example, right, if I am a videographer or uh -huh. I, I have a video and I obviously I need music, right? And I need, uh, let's say I don't want to use like, um, uh, like stock footage or things mm. that I can get off the net that are like public domain. I want something that is um, more tailored to my video. So I come across your website and I'd be like, oh, this person produced music as well. So I can probably get in touch with you, tell you the concept that I want, and then you can probably like th create something for me, yeah. right? So that in itself, I think is solving a problem of somebody that doesn't necessarily have the mm. skill set to, to do that. So mm. I'm, if I'm not an expert in, in music, then yeah. when it comes to comp composing, I need somebody else to do it for me because I can't do it myself. Right, mm. so yeah, th what you're offering is, you know, I think this very direct um, uh, way for somebody to reach you or reach out to you to solve a problem. Yeah, it's it's a it's a yeah. little bit of both, lah. Because mm. when when you have a a business or whatever, you you look for what people don't have. So I mm. guess that can come under problem solving also, but that wasn't. Uh, why I came into this thing, you know, because mm. I, I came into this thing uh, because I love it and I guess it, it can be said as like entertainment source for people So because you create music for people to listen. That at, at least for me, I create music for people to listen to. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Now that you, you seem to be uh, in a slightly more uh, comfortable environment in terms of school, and in the work that you're creating and in the art that you're creating, what aspect of your work and life are you enjoying the most currently? I think I really love collaboration. Even though I said, oh, we don't need people to do everything for us. But I really enjoy right. collaboration because collaborating, it actually helps us learn, helps the other person learn. And you know, we make new relationships and uh, contacts and 
it, it just it's just a good way f- to bond with like-minded mm. individuals or even mm. people that don't do what we do so yeah. there was uh i wrote i i produced some some songs that you know youtubers wrote and because mm. they know nothing about music and it's just yeah. very nice to see their faces when when you know whatever they had, had in their head you know, whatever they just randomly sang in the shower had come to life in this like elaborate production. So I, mm. I think that's something I, I discovered that I really love a lot about my work. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And also the collaboration part. I see. Yeah. Uh, of course, I, I also came across that video that, that is also on your website. So yeah, yeah people should just yes, uh, check it out. You know, what do you think? Of course, this is way too early to say, and mm-hmm. uh, I know we are going on record. And, but I don't, I'm not going to hold you. I'm not going to show this to you in like a few years time and say, that, oh, you said <laughs> this, but now you're not doing that. But uh, what are you looking forward now uh, to the future? And what do you think like uh, you will be sort of like zooming in on over the next like couple of years? Obviously, I'm, I, I guess I'm looking forward to, you know, moving out of my comfort zone, which is the school. Mm. Um, being, meeting more people, you know, collaborating with more work, having more time to make a living out of something that I really enjoy and feel strongly about. Yeah. yeah and I hope to kind of live abroad for a few years, I guess, because, mm. you know, going out of my comfort zone. Uh, I mean, if, if, the, if it happens, then cool. Lah. If it's not, then, you know, it doesn't really matter as well. Just a thought. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So uh, definitely, I think, you know, uh, living abroad, is it's fantastic for your own personal growth uh if if nothing else i'm sure you get different sort of inspirations because you meet different people but yeah for sure i think you should you should consider that are you planning on any sort uh, going on any exchange program over this next couple of uh semesters that you have still left in school uh no um, not not exchange programs because if i'm going on exchange programs it it will it might be like a composition program or something and it's a ah, new okay. music composition I mean it's cool but uh, I mean I'm not really focusing on that so mm. it, it might take less take more time out of you know doing my usuals yeah right so I, actually I'm quite curious about this so like you know with this uh, like EDM producers and artists like yourself um, what is usually the, the sort of um, trajectory of course, like for us um, as instrumentalists, if you want to learn how to do it, we go to school, right? Mm. So what what is like, for example, if you decide to, uh, if you want some inspiration or want to say, uh, work a little bit closer or study somebody's work from overseas, how, how do you like make these arrangements? I guess there is a lot of different ways to do it because this is a more commercial and industrial, you know, uh, um, industry so mm. i mean we could always go to music production schools or as here uh, audio arts and science in mm, ost mm. yeah but we can also learn on the job as mm. as like any any other fields as well you can always learn on the job yeah and uh, unless you're a doctor or surgeon i mean yeah of course, of course <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, sure, sure, yeah i agree yeah yeah so yeah. i mean for for me i started online like learning online and obviously we have to have good years we have to know how to yeah. compare it to you know some professional 
EDM artist or mm. like you know like Zed or Martin Garrix or something. Yeah, you have to have that year training lah to to be mm. able to know that okay this is good, this is bad. I want to be here and not here. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, if yeah. you if you look at like very famous people like you know like Zed mm. or Kelvin Harris, they don't they don't go they didn't exactly go to school. I think. Yeah. I'm not very sure. Yeah, but mm. they might not have went to school, and they might have just learned on the job. So I think it's equ- it's equally good. It's just that being in school is an easier approach because you have that curriculum, that much context laid out to you. So honestly, I would mm. prefer being in school. But this is not bad too. Yeah, I I think sometimes when also uh school set us up for some form of success, but also. We can get very tied down with technicalities, mm. and you know, yeah. and I think once we enroll into a, a school, there there's a higher sense of like um, uh, fear of showing our work because it mm. all of a sudden seems like we have to hit a certain standard, right? Otherwise, it's like not good enough or or whatnot. So yeah, at, at least I feel I felt that pressure even like as an instrumentalist. The moment I started studying music properly, I was like, mm, I better be playing like. Better than <laughs> yeah. yeah, because you know, otherwise you know, people will say that I'm wasting my money or like I'm not good and like oh, this guy is you know study music but he plays like you know to such like mediocre level and stuff like that. Yeah, I think these are these are fears that you know people ha- have in their heads, but when you mm. actually do it, it, it's not that bad. Yeah. It's like when you want even before you jump into a cold water, you're like, mm. oh no, I'm gonna die. But then when you're inside, yeah. it's, it's not that bad. So you just, yeah. you gotta just press the post button somehow. Yeah, correct. And just, yeah. Once you're in there for five seconds, you'll be okay. Yeah. This is my personal question, right? So uh, for you, right? When you're working on, say, like an EDM track, what is the, what are some of the, the check boxes that you have? Are there like certain trajectories? Is there like one big arrival point whereby... Uh, the music should be at its peak and then mm. it should relax away and then eventually kind of like either end on a bang or kind of fade out. So uh, are there any sort of like process that goes through your head with this um, when when you come to uh, producing like uh, EDM music? Yeah, definitely. Because I think when even with classical music, you know, when you start learning it, you got to learn the theory and structure what kind of harmony they use you cannot mm. just you know jump into it like if you don't know anything about production but you're like okay I, I want to make something new but you, you cannot make yeah. something new without the, the basic knowledge right mm. so yeah. there was a lot of studying a lot of listening to, to know the structure okay it's like um, break down about 16 bars build up 8 bars and then there's a drop and then there's another breakdown another build up and another drop and mm. then you you kind of have this you know, structure to work with at least. So it's easier for you also. So you work with mm. this structure and then you start saying, okay, maybe, maybe if, maybe uh, instead of an eight bar build up, I want like a 10 bar build up or something. And you start to change mm. things on your own to, to make it, you know, instead of one drop, I want to have one drop and immediately the build up and then another drop or something like right. that. And then the music uh, ends with the breakdown, for example, or what? Mm. Or you can okay. change the harmony, the sounds. So, right. For my process, I guess I recently learned this new technique, which uh, is a four four part process to to uh, production EDM. Mm. So you you first you choose the sounds that you want to use. 
you sound design, quote unquote. Okay. And then yeah. you write the song. So you, you write it out, kind mm. of what you want. And then you arrange it. So the songwriting part is the structure part. And then you arrange it with the, the, the sounds that you want, you chose in the first step. And then fourth is right. mix and master. So I think that really mm. helps. Yeah. I see. I see. Okay. That's, yeah. I think that's also quite uh, important to understand that like uh, EDM music is not just loud and <laughs> like, yeah, you know, makes a heart pump. Yeah. yeah there's actually like trajectory and there's also a uh, structure uh, to the music, right? Yeah. So uh, in your um, ideal, if you could just describe to us your uh, ideal like e- EDM track, what what should <laughs> it have inside? My ideal EDM track? Hmm. Yeah. I think, okay, these, these days I've been working with, you know, uh, like brass band and EDM. Mm. Just learning how to write for a brass band before I, I dive into anything. I'm just learning the roles and everything because I think right. it's, it's pretty cool. And, yep. you know, EDM yeah. producers, they always play a trumpet or a trombone or whatever because mm. it just works, you know. So right. that's what I've been working on. And I think has to have a very unique uh, style mm. that that doesn't conform to the you know regular EDM structure right yeah so a unique voice to the to the music yeah. that is that sets you apart from everyone else yeah yeah so mm. I think a very elaborate composition because right now I'm working with a with a drop head and a mm. lot of percussion, and then this melody. So I'm trying to yeah. have a more elaborate uh, composition, you know, because mm. I have all this Western training, and it it's got to, it really inspired me somehow, you know, to, because yeah. I've got this composition training and this Western training, mm. and I think putting it into something that I love would mm. be good, and something that I, I want it to sound yeah. Mm. So I think the elaborate yeah. uh, arrangement composition part is very important to me. Yeah. Mm. De- definitely. I think uh, uh, if you are thinking along the lines of like having like elaborate work or what, if I, I may say this, uh, complex music, right? Yeah. So music, yeah, music that is not so um, common mm. or not perhaps like easily digestible for your audience that, mm. oh, I'm like, listening to all these like new sounds or like new textures that are not commonly being found in EDMs. Yeah. I think, yeah, definitely you're, you're, you're going to be onto something. So uh, before we wrap this up, uh, let me just uh, ask you, you mentioned something about, about the brass band. So I think your idea of a brass band and my idea of a brass band is largely different. So okay. uh, so um, in terms of like brass band, uh, what sort of, uh, what kind of setup are you working with at the moment? Uh, the, the, the Europe brass band. The one with uh, cornets and ah okay and so is it the right same? right <laughs> ah yeah yes yes absolutely <laughs> then then it's absolutely the same absolutely the same yeah. ah okay nice so um do you like have you listened uh, I mean I played in brass bands when I was in the UK mm. and I absolutely love brass band because it's the only place that the euphonium can actually do stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, are you working with like uh, anybody at the moment? Oh, uh, because my for my MCP project, oh, my, my major project next year, mm. I wanted to do something with a brass band. So I actually reached out to Ignatius. 
Yeah. The Alliance City. Yeah. So mm. he's been helping me, lah. So to because I know nothing about it, so I really need help. <laughs> ah. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I mean uh, that that's all good stuff. And uh, actually, you know, you can check uh, this out. So uh, years ago, this is a uh, really really outdated stuff, right? <laughs> so we, when it comes to like EDM and and brass bands, so there's this band in the UK called the Fairies Band. Mm-hmm. So they're based in Manchester. So they're one of the the top bands in in UK. So they actually have like a a, a series of music called Acid Brass, A C I D. Mm. Uh, brass which is all EDMs they play in like clubs and and, and things like that oh, so oh. Uh, yeah so apparently like in, in the 90s it used to like drive people absolutely nuts when, when they go out on shows like that um, maybe less so recently <laughs> but um, yeah so maybe that's something that you can like have a look as well mm, definitely cool right so time flies so <laughs> yeah it's been a really really lovely chat uh, with you Liki likewise and yeah, so I think it's time for us to wrap this up. And thank you so much for coming on to the show. And yeah, it's been uh, quite fascinating to hear you speak about uh, your life, your your progress, and to hear your story of your development. And also, of course, um, understanding a little bit more about like EDM and mm-hmm. uh, your thought process. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely pleasure yeah so i hope you uh had a lovely time on the podcast yep, I and did. that uh, <laughs> yeah and the next time if i reach out to you again and you, you would still come onto the podcast and speak to me yeah definitely <laughs> hope you reach out again <laughs> yeah yeah if you say no i also understand that's absolutely <laughs> fine <laughs> yeah so uh for all of you listening thank you so much for staying with us throughout this episode and most importantly thank you for your attention it is very 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 much appreciated and with that, we will sign off on this episode of You Play A What. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time.